Welcome to the Clark Howard Show, our mission to serve and empower you so you make better financial decisions in your life. In today's episode, are you thinking of doing some home improvements and you're convincing yourself they're going to pay off big time? Well, I got some serious information for you about that. And coming up later, do you know what buy nothing groups are? It is something that started off as an environmental and life simplicity movement and has now gained steady popularity. Let me tell you what it means and how it could help you stretch your wallet. So I get so many questions from people about, we want to redo our kitchen and we're going to redo the bathroom or add another bathroom or whatever. We're going to put in a deck, blah, 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 blah. And it's going to increase the value of our home so much. And then I have to break their hearts by saying the reason you do an improvement to your home is because you want to because you end up losing money when you do a home improvement, you don't make money. It's almost unheard of that any improvement to your home will pay you more in later resale value than what it costs you to do it. In fact, it's typical that when you do a home improvement, you're going to get about 50 cents back on the dollar in value when you sell your home. Now, this confuses people if you are actually actively selling your home and you're talking to real estate agents, trying to consider who you might have handle your listing for you. And they're saying, well, you need to paint this, you need to repair that, and need you to put some landscaping out there. Those are things that are necessary to do to market your home. Totally different than something like, you know what? This kitchen's looking old. It looks tired. I want a new kitchen. So in addition to you having an excuse to not cook for several months while your kitchen is redone, know that a kitchen remodel, even the industry says that a kitchen remodel, you'll get back 50 some odd cents for each dollar you spend. So in other words, you spend, uh, let's say you spend $50,000 on a kitchen remodel, you're going to lose somewhere close to 25000 of that. Because when you sell the place, you might get 25000 more in value, but you've spent 50000 to get there. You do a bathroom remodel, really similar to that. Somewhere uh, mid-50s, upper 50 cents, in value. And you can go item by item. And you won't hit dollar for dollar on any item, on any survey I've ever seen. Even the remodeling industry trying to make it seem great to do a remodel. Their numbers will show you're not going to get payback. So why do you Redo a bathroom, redo a kitchen, add a bedroom, put on a new deck, add a pool, whatever it is. Why do you do it? 
because you want to enjoy it. That's why you do it. And that's the only reason. But don't ever con yourself that you're doing an investment in your home. No. You're spending money so you will get more joy out of your home. And some things you're recommended to do that are supposed to have a great payback, one of my favorites is all the pitches that you see on the internet and mailers to your house, on TV, about replacing windows in your home. Why do you replace windows in your home? Well, to be more comfortable, maybe save a little energy, but you're never going to get back a payback on that money. You will spend more than you'll ever benefit from it. Please remember the real reason that you do a home improvement project, a home upgrade, a renovation, whatever term the industry is using at the moment. You do it for your pleasure, not for your wallet. Speaking of that, Clark, Renee in Oregon says, in the next year or so, my significant other and I plan to blend families and move in together. He currently rents while I own my home. We have been debating between purchasing a new home or doing a significant addition to my current residence. We live in a market with extreme competition for homes and higher than average prices for homes and construction. We're leaning towards an addition. With our combined incomes, affording a higher mortgage is not an issue. We just do not have the large cash up front for the scope of addition we want. We want to get the most for our money and are having a hard time justifying the current prices we're being quoted, especially compared with what we were, what they were just a year or two ago. One option would be to do a cash out refinance now while interest rates are low and sitting on the money to see if lumber and construction prices come down. Do you see any issues with this? If we did this, would the money be best in a high-yield online account, municipal fund, etc.? And is there a better option? So, Renee, this is not about money. This is about life. I think it's a real challenge to engage in a major addition to an existing home as you're in the process of blending families. There will be some adjustments involved in blending families. And having been through home renovations and additions before, I can tell you they are a stressor. And the cost per square foot to add an addition may not be a money saver versus you in a hot market buying a home that has the square footage and rooms you need versus what you currently have plus adding an addition. So my first bias would be to go out and see what it would cost in total to buy a property that has the square footage you need and the rooms you need. Compare that to what it would cost to add the addition to your home plus the current value of your home. And I think you might find that on balance, you're better off buying a different property. If that's not what you want to do and you need to stay in the home you're in and buy the additions to it, I kind of like the idea of you doing the cash out refi with today's low rates. And if you can be patient for a while, the run up in lumber and other material costs is going to come down. The reason I know that is that 
the market has been intensely overheated. And what happens when that does happen is it will self-correct. And you may find that not only does the cost of materials come down, but maybe home prices moderate. And before you get into the project later, you bought yourself time by doing the cash out refi. Later, you may find, you know what? It is a better idea in the market as it will be at that time to buy another home and sell the one you have. This is from Stephen in Michigan. You always recommend the Costco credit card. I recently applied for and received my card. I was reading the information that comes with it only to discover that they will only allow you to make a claim against the merchant when the goods or services are defective if the purchase was made in your home state or within 100 miles of your home. Why are you recommending a card with such a terrible requirement? It makes it almost useless. Well, Stephen, thank you for being the one person out of a million who reads the mice type. So that is what you're reading is something that's specific wording under federal law. And every credit card, if you were to look at the mice type, will have that same thing. But that is not the only situation where a credit card protects you. Now, remember what this says. This says that you have the right to dispute a charge when the goods or services are defective. That is a very specific right that is geared towards people doing things close to where they live. It goes back to the prior question about doing a home improvement or renovation. That was one of the motivations, as I recall, for this being statute. Your rights to dispute a charge based on failure to deliver goods or services is a different right that's the one I talk about with cards. This limiting right that you referred to also is with every card. And Bob in Oklahoma wants to know if you'll be reviewing Google's phone plans anytime soon. We actually do have a review on Clark.com of Google Fi, and Google Fi is great for certain situations. So the way Google Fi works, this is really helpful for a single individual, is you pay $20 a month as a base, and that buys you a dial tone, unlimited talk and text. And then whatever data you use is metered at $10 per gig. So if you are someone who uses data all the time, then it gets pretty pricey. They also have unlimited plans. So if you use a lot of data, they cap you at 60 a month. Not exactly a great, great price, except if now that the pandemic is moving into its final phases, hopefully, people will begin international travel again. And that's who Google Fi is fantastic for because your service works pretty much overseas just like it does in the United States. So you pay the flat rates. You don't have to worry about a bunch of junk fees. You have a phone that is, I wouldn't call it a worldwide phone, but a phone with very wide coverage outside the U.S. The network available on Google Fi is very good and reliable. I never hear complaints about that. If you want the cheapest unlimited plan or quasi-unlimited plan 
to use for one phone line, check out Mint Mobile. Mintmobile.com is a company that is what's known as MVNO. They don't own a network. They just have their own service, and they buy capacity from other players. For $30 a month, if you pay in blocks of months, you get essentially unlimited everything. Instead of spending money and buying more and more stuff, you know what's really become a thing? Trading, bartering, getting stuff for free. And I'm talking about that straight ahead. I talked recently about how uh, I've been through a nightmare with my wife getting rid of a ton of stuff. We had just way too much stuff. And true consumptors at one point in our lives. And how much I regret that now. And we have a society where we buy more stuff and produce more junk than anybody else on planet Earth. Partially a product of how affluent a society we are, but it's also part of just how we do things. And to any point, there's a counterpoint. And more and more of our fellow Americans are like, we got to stop this. We're wasting so much. And it goes back to something I talked about a year ago. And that's when in the big cities, people were, because of lockdowns, were abandoning their apartments, either at the end of their leases or even before they were up. And they were putting their furniture on the street. I don't know if you remember me talking about this or you heard me talk about this last year. And so scrappy entrepreneurial types were going around with trucks. Either they had a pickup truck or a, or a box truck or they were renting them. And they were just going around. They were picking up all this abandoned furniture and selling it off to people, which I thought was cool because instead of having all this waste, People were getting deals, and other people were earning a living taking this on. Well, what I have not really talked about much except when people ask me is there's more and more stuff that originated as best I know with a website that is not prominent today that I'm aware of, FreeCycle, where you could post something you didn't want anymore, and give it away to somebody else, and all they had to do was come and get it in a hurry. And it was kind of a Wild West thing. But Facebook, as they always do, sees somebody else doing something, and they look, hey, we should be in that. And now there are all these Facebook groups where people say, hey, I got this, or hey, I'm looking for this. And people are just giving stuff to each other, trading it, with others, whatever, and recycling goods, essentially, they would go to waste. This has become a movement in clothing with people who buy fast fashion from, that's what they call it when you buy stuff from Target or H&M or Zara. It's all about the style and maybe your sizing changed or it's not a style you like anymore. And that stuff just ends up 
disposed of. Instead, with these trading opportunities, people either trade it with somebody or give it to somebody. I mean, this is really a great thing. I realize it's not good for sales at Zara or H&M or Target or whatever, but it's really good for our wallets. It's good for society and all that. And so this idea of looking on social media and looking for how you can get things for, um, for little or no money or even at the extremes, what are known as buy-nothing groups, this is a way for you to do it. And I neglected, again, to mention Nextdoor, which is also a great resource because it's people right in your own neighborhood in theory or area or zip code where you're able to know who you're dealing with and it could be a neighbor who has something they're getting rid of. You didn't even know they had it. And they post it on next door, and it's yours suddenly. So this is a way for you to protect your wallet, stop waste, and again, everybody benefits but the retailers. All right, Clark. Susie in Oregon says, is it a good idea to put all of your assets like 401k, IRA, et cetera, into one financial company like Vanguard or spread them out over two to three companies? My assets are currently in three places, and my husband wants me to consolidate everything into Vanguard for convenience. So it's your choice where you want to have your money. The problem with having any money at, I uh, see you've got it, Vanguard Fidelity, Merrill Lynch. Merrill Lynch is a full commission stockbroker, and it'll tend to be a lot more expensive to have money with them. With Vanguard and Fidelity, it it's truly a question of whose package of services you like. And if you really want to just have one account, no problem with that as long as if at Vanguard they do everything that you need, everything you want. Uh, Fidelity tends to offer a wider variety of services, but overall is more expensive to do business with than Vanguard. So, in theory, there's nothing wrong with you consolidating from three to one, and it does make life simpler. This is from Todd in Illinois. I'm confused. While I'm sitting at home reading a book, someone forges a quick claim deed, presents it to a bank, and borrows money from that same bank. Sounds to me like the bank got scammed, not me. Why in the heck would I be liable for this, and why would I need any type of protection against it? It sounds like the bank needs to have the protection. I don't see any difference between this situation and the old scam of selling the Brooklyn Bridge to Taurus. <laughs> <laughs> so, Todd, um, I, I don't recommend any of these title things that they're saying, you know, people are going to scam your title and they're going to run off with your home or all that. Uh, although that could happen potentially on a home with no debt against it. It is a very, very rare crime. What you said is more often the case is that a lender will be scammed into making a loan to somebody with false paperwork. Where it matters to you is cleaning it up later is hard. And 
it's not like it's a scam to sell you this coverage, but it is really not advised. Now, there is something else you should know, Todd. Many counties, and hopefully yours in Illinois does this, have a registration system where you can be notified by your county anytime there's any action against your title or on your title. And that way, you have an early warning system before somebody could impersonate you and try to be a thief. And that is something that every county in the United States should have a standard operating procedure because of the rare but really hassle-filled theft of title. Okay, and this is from Dave in Colorado. I'm planning on moving in with my girlfriend of 18 months and want to make sure we're setting ourselves up for financial success. We are in our 30s, have stable careers, have healthy retirement and savings accounts, limited debt, and my girlfriend owns her own home, a small two-bedroom. Marriage, starting a family and fostering, moving to a larger home are all on the horizon. While generally on the same page financially, we do think about money differently. I lean towards the frugal fire movement. My girlfriend is less concerned with day-to-day spending and money issues, but is turned off by consumer culture. What advice do you have for a new couple? What questions should we be talking about before moving in together? And are there any books or resources we should look at? I grew up listening to you and recently discovered the podcast. I love listening to it on my afternoon runs. Well, Dave, I hope that my slow pace of talking (laughs) doesn't slow down the pace of your runs, but I'm thrilled that the two of you are having these conversations. That's what I always ask for, is that you find where the two of you can reach an understanding. She's not into consumer culture, and I'd say the key for her is that the two of you reach a point you can both agree on with a percent of her pay that she saves out of every paycheck in a 401k. Hopefully there's a Roth 401k available to her. If there's not fully contributing to a Roth IRA and maybe in addition, putting money into an investment account automatically from every check. So you would like to be able to bag work extra early, be extra frugal. Um, The good news is she's not into being a spendaholic out in the stores all the time. So the best thing is not that she has to be like you, but that the two of you come to an accommodation with the idea of diverting a certain amount of paycheck into retirement and investment funds so that you're building financial security. Just because you are so into living on a small fraction of what you make, it's not fair to ask her to do that. But it is fair for both of you to be into living on less than what you make, but for her, not anywhere near as extreme as you and I are living on way less than what we make. And I want to thank you, Dave, for making your way back to what I do and to our podcast. I love that you're part of the Team Clark community. And for more free advice, contact our Consumer Action Center, our Team Clark, available to answer your questions, concerns, one-on-one, If you go to Clark.com slash CAC, 
you'll see how you can get free one-on-one advice.